All right. So let's uh, let's pray. Gracious Father, I just want to thank you again for this night. Thank you for the peace that you bring to us. Thank you for the laughter, for the joy, for the hope we find in you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, that you came and made your Father known to us. That you came not to not so that not not so that your Father could love us, not so that you could love us, but because you love us. Help that to just sink into the deep recesses of our hearts and minds that even while we were running the other way from you and even when we still do that on occasion, you love us. Your love is never far from us. We love you in return. Hopefully with even just a tiny portion of the kind of love you love us with. Praise you. Thank you for the Gospel of Matthew. Thank you that we can read this this Gospel that was written nearly 2,000 years ago. That you inspired Matthew, that you have brought this Gospel all the way before us today. Praise you for the ways that it has been instrumental in informing your people, informing the church. Form us today. We love you. Amen. I have had a hard time figuring out what order to put things in in this sermon. I have that happen every once in a while, but this is probably one of the worst, honestly, times that I've had trying to figure out where to put what. But that's all right. I'm just going to trust that what I have here is what God desired. Corey Ten Boom. I know we talked about her on Friday night just briefly. And it reminded me of a, a quote of hers that was it's quite uh, poignant to make one of the points that, we're try, that I'm trying to, to, to make today. And if you don't know who Corey Ten Boom is, she grew up and was the uh, daughter of a watchmaker and timekeeper, clockkeeper person in Germany during the rise of the Third Reich. Holland, sorry, yes, thank you. During the rise of the Third Reich. And so um, they were instrumental in hiding Jews who were being persecuted. And quite an amazing woman. She later was instrumental in going back to Germany and, and reconciling with the German people who had sided with Hitler. And just that in its own right is absolutely amazing. So <clears throat> when I read this quote, keep in mind her life. Keep in mind what she went through in as much as you know about that, but just imagine even the thought of hiding people who were being persecuted and that people were chasing after to kill. She said, Worry is an old man with bended head carrying a load of feathers which he thinks are lead. Worry is an old man with bended head carrying a load of feathers which he thinks are lead. So true. Goodness sakes. I'm going to read for you from Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? 
and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Once upon a time, there was a colony of lilies. Hi, Lily. A whole colony of lilies. <laughs> there were a whole colony of lilies. One morning, as the sun was just coming up, one lily began to open, spreading its petals to display its glory to the world and hopefully attract a few bees. Just then, another lily, planted firmly next to him, said, Wait! I had a dream last night of a terrifyingly huge green machine. It had four massive tires that were perpendicular to the ground and four rotating metal propellers horizontal to the ground. With its four massive tires, it squished us. And with its four metal propellers, it chopped us down to the roots. So whatever you do, don't open your petals or you will surely die. You should crouch down as low as you possibly can to the ground. The formerly opening Lily responded, Oh, goodness, I think I've heard of this machine. I think it's called something like a Johan Dire. I'll, s <laughs> I'll spread the word. Soon the entire colony was steeped with worry and refused to open or even to stand up straight. Instead, they hugged the ground for dear life. As days went on, they fretted and toiled and refused, continually refusing to open for fear of the Johann Dire. Soon, the lilies began to wither and die. Without standing up straight and revealing their splendorous petals, they no longer attracted bees and their entire colony dwindled to insignificance. And despite their worried attempts to avoid death, death became their reality. Not at the blades of the dreaded John Deere, but at the blades of the fear that kept them from living. But even so, not all was lost. As they died, their seeds fell to the ground and began to grow. Only hopefully this next generation will learn to live by something other than worry. Hopefully this next generation will spend its life risking to display its God-given glory 
for the world to see. Of course, this story is crazy, right? Lilies don't worry. Well, I don't know about this lily, but <laughs> lilies don't worry. Actually, lilies are incapable of worry. They're flowers. Actually, Christian author and quite deep thinker Peter Enns talks about this in one of his more recent books called The Sin of Certainty. I know a few of you here have read that book. He expresses his frustration in that book that Jesus would offer such an example. Thanks, Jesus, for giving me an example of something that's totally unrelatable to me, a human. Birds have bird brains and, well, lilies have no brains. Lilies don't feel. How is this helpful to the complexities of human life? Neither birds nor lilies are even capable in any sense of worry. How can you, Jesus, use that as an example of me not worrying? Exactly, Jesus says. Incapable of worry. Incapable of worry. That's what Jesus desires for us. That's what he's created for us. That's how he's created us to live, how he's created us to be. God didn't make us to worry. He made us instead to have faith, to trust him. Clearly, we don't do that well. Hence, Jesus' teaching on learning to be like lilies and birds. Worry. Any of you worry here ever? I, I do. I try not to. I get swept away with it sometimes. I spend nights tossing and turning, thinking my mind is racing. Can't seem to get it under control. I've got like 2,500 different thoughts going on at the same time, and I'm trying to collect them up, make some sense out of them. <laughs> Once. Yeah. Literally, the word... The biblical word for worry means, it's really appropriate, divided into parts. Divided into parts. Our minds are just divided into parts. I think it describes it quite well. Trying hard to collect them all and to figure it out. Worry makes its home in a future that can't be seen. We try to see it, but we can't see it, so we worry. It deals with the what-ifs and the could-bes of our lives concerning things that we have something to do with, but that we know deep down inside of us are ultimately beyond our control. Since we don't know the outcome of that which we know we can't control, our imaginations become swept away in speculation and possibility and we gravitate toward a long list of, for some reason, the worst possible case scenarios. You just catch me. You know what I'm talking about? You relate to this at all? Scenarios that part of us know will most likely not be. And even if they were, we somewhere deep inside of our being know that we would get through them. When we are divided into parts, when we are steeped in worry, we're swept away 
And quite honestly, many unhelpful things can happen, like just losing sleep, or developing ulcers, or growing, becoming impatient with the people we love. Maybe the worst out of all of those things, when we're steeped in worry, we close up, we hunker down on the ground, afraid to move. And when we do that, we lose our purpose. We don't lose it in the sense of not being able to regain it, but we don't live it. We don't live our God-given purpose when we're steeped with worry. However, I'll let you into my own head a little bit here for a second. Worrying about worrying and losing our purpose is not really very helpful. In other words, when somebody comes and just says to you, you shouldn't worry. Oh, oh, I shouldn't worry? Then we start worrying about not worrying. Well, I'm trying to not worry, but I can't not worry. Now I'm worrying about worrying because you're telling me my life's going to fall apart if I worry. Well, there's got to be a better way. Gotta be a way, there's got to be a better way than to simply be told, stop it. Don't worry. There's got to be some way through this. Jesus doesn't say, come to me, you who are he- weary and heavy laden, and stop it. <laughs> right? Just stop it. Stop being weary and heavy laden. Let's go now. He says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. So I think it's helpful to maybe consider for a moment here why we worry. And I want to say this too. There are people that have anxiety disorders and there are people that have dep- deal with depression. That's probably not most of us, but that might be some of us. And I I want you to know that for those of you that are dealing with those things, well, I believe this, what I'm about to say is very relatable. I don't want to in any way, shape, or form diminish the difficulty of working through that when a person is dealing with an anxiety disorder or dealing with depression, okay? Why, are, why, why do we worry? I think maybe a, a big topic of conversation could be fear. We're afraid, so we worry. Or maybe sometimes we worry because we have an unhealthy attachment to things that are destined to perish. We've got a whole bunch of things that we want to hold on to, and they're not going to stay with us forever, and we know that, and so we do everything we possibly can to try and make them last as long as we possibly can. We fall in love with temporal stuff more than we are in love with the eternal God. We simply desire to keep things that we know we cannot keep. We worry about keeping them, but we know we cannot because we know they won't keep. However, if our treasures are in heaven, as we talked about last week, if we love the eternal God who provides temporal stuff, for sure, then we do not need to worry because 
heavenly things and our heavenly Father and the one who provides us with those perishables lasts forever. He is imperishable. Our Savior Jesus has been resurrected imperishable. So we need to work on that. I think we need to work on not falling in love with temporal stuff that we know we can't keep and try everything we can to hold on to it. We've got to learn to love God more than that and trust that He is the one that provides for those things. I think another reason that we worry a lot is because we've gotten really used to warranties. <laughs> right? Like, you go down to Home Depot and you pay the extra eight bucks and you can get the warranty on the cheap grinder so that after a little while when it burns up, you just go get a new one. You don't have to have trust or faith in the manufacturer of it. You just got a warranty that gets you another free one after you misuse it, abuse it, or whatever you do. You can get It's easy, no big deal. We get really used to that, and that's the way we want our lives to be. But we don't have a life that's lived like that. We have a life that we are guaranteed the love of a Father and the love of a Savior who will be with us through everything we go through, but we don't have any guarantees in life. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We have a God who loves us. And we can trust Him. I think maybe another reason that we worry is that it's hard to understand the relationship between human and divine action. Where does my activity in God's life start? Where does my doing start and end in God's doing start and end? Right? Because some of us will sit around and do nothing and then blame God that everything is falling apart. And we worry. Or some of us take too much on and we try and do it all and it falls apart and we blame God. Where does this relationship between what we do and what God does in our lives intersect? I'm not going to answer that for you. <laughs> I'm just trying to point out these are some of the things we worry about. Do you worry about that? Does that connect with you? It does me. Or maybe three more really simple things that aren't so simple to work out. We have a hard time believing God is really good. Maybe He's forgotten about us. Maybe He isn't really going to roll up His sleeves and get involved in my messy life. It's hard to believe that God is really with us. And sometimes it's hard to believe that God really does love us. This is just real. It's hard. Faith in Jesus is hard. We don't need to pretend that it's not. We need to name that it's hard. We need to be able to come together as a people and say, you know what, my faith ain't so strong today. I'm worrying, and I'm not even so certain that I believe that there is a God. I know that sounds maybe ridiculous from a pastor to say that, but we go through those times. We need to be able to name those experiences as part of the journey of faith. We need to be able to be real with what's really going on. If we can't be real like that here, we can't be real like that anywhere. My goodness, it's a powerful thing to just be able to go to a friend or a brother or a sister in Christ and say, you know what, I'm worrying because I'm not sure that God loves me. And know that you're not going to be met with a judgmental attitude saying, I can't believe you, you're not even a Christian. If, if we know we can go to a brother or sister and be received and heard when we say those things, then all of a sudden we can maybe start working through some of that worry, some of that fear, some of that doubt. 
Because it is. It's hard to believe sometimes that God is really good in light of the things that we see in the world around us. And the only way to work that through is to come to Jesus and start talking to Him as much as we maybe even in the moment don't think He's hearing us. And ask Him to strengthen us. Ask Him to speak to us, to teach us. Say, put that doggone yoke on me because I want it really bad because I don't like this heavy burden that I'm carrying. I want to talk about a couple of other examples of things that maybe will resonate with you. One of these I've kind of mentioned already in some sense. I worry when I'm too busy. Constant worry, right? I know, right? And I also worry when I'm not busy enough. Because I know I have enough to do, so I should be busy, right? So I'm worrying both when I am too busy and doing and when I'm too busy and I'm procrastinating. And then, I don't know if this will connect with you all, but I procrastinate because I'm too busy, and I'm too busy because I procrastinate. (laughs) Right? Golly. We are... I also worry, and this is kind of what I've already mentioned, when I'm too busy because I told, I'm told by people that love me, I don't think anybody in this room has told me this, so don't worry. I love you all, but I'm not talking about you necessarily. People that have my best interest in mind, I'm, I'm told that people who are too busy worry too much. And people don't want me to be too busy, they don't want me to worry too much, so they don't want me to be too busy. So then again, as I mentioned earlier, I worry about becoming somebody who worries too much due to my busyness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I try to be less busy, right? I try to be less busy. I try and just like say no more often and just like find a way to be less busy. But it drives me crazy. Like I said, I I say no to things, and maybe you can relate to this. I say no to things, but some things come up that I'm not able to say no to because they didn't ask me, right? When somebody backs over a water pipe at the RV park and breaks it off, nobody said, hey, do you mind coming out to the RV park and fixing this pipe that I'm about ready to back over? Because I would say no, right? (laughs) Them. Not it, them. It happens a lot. Anyway. (laughs) It's just impossible sometimes to not be busy. And when it's impossible to not be busy, and you're told that busy people worry too much, and you shouldn't be so busy, you're just stuck, unable to do anything about it. You start worrying more about feeling bad about yourself. And golly, if God is with me, how can he let me be so busy if busyness isn't good? Ah, okay, but here, there's hope. There's hope. Dallas, that's right, I just give it to Kat. You can do it, honey. And even delegating all those things, at the end of the day, don't work. I mean, they're helpful, they're good, it's nice to do that. It's not that you shouldn't say no and shouldn't delegate and handle busyness in some of those ways, but sometimes at our best efforts, busyness still comes. So Dallas Willard. I know you've, many of you have heard me mention it before. 
But I love what he has to say about this. He says, ah, being worried, sorry, being busy, well, that's not the problem. People are busy. Go to a hospital and see a triage nurse and say they shouldn't be so busy. Like, people are busy. You're going to be busy. The problem is being hurried. Huh? Yeah. Right? So it's the feeling that you get when you are busy already, and this isn't the cause necessarily of a hurried life, but it might tell you whether or not you are hurried when you got to pass every car before the exit comes up that then are going to be right behind you at the stoplight at the bottom. Right? And that then you're like frustrated behind every car on the way to wherever you're going that stops at every stoplight or goes a tiny bit too slow, and you desire for them to get the <clears throat> out of your way as quickly as possible. If those are feelings that are starting to creep into you, you're probably hurried. I know, right? And I'm working on it. Sometimes. Sometimes I do it just for fun, too. So the question then is, what do we do about be, being hurried? What do we do about being hurried? We're going to talk about that in just a second, so hold on to that. Thought about what we do about the feelings of being hurried in a busy life. I want to talk about one other thing that causes a tremendous amount of worry. Maybe amongst much of the population that we reach out to is probably one of the greatest causes of worry for them, but I think it's probably for just about all of us, maybe. It relates to me. It goes something like this. I've made this mess, and I'm going to have to clean it up myself. This is a lie. <laughs> if my circumstances are due to my own sin and bad decisions, sin that I've committed because I didn't ask God or obey God, then I must deal with those consequences by myself. That's a lie. But many of us live in that place. We think that God's not for me. He wasn't for the decision that I made, so I must take the matters into my own hands and deal with it without God. Because I didn't ask Him when I got into this mess, and He isn't going to be so happy to help me now that I'm in it. Again, that's a lie. It's not even remotely true. Of course, we have mul numerous, multiple examples of how God does walk with us, despite the fact that we make bogusly horrible decisions at times in our lives throughout the Scripture. If there's one narrative we see is that people are like blowing it repeatedly, and God is still with them, still working it out, still fulfilling His ends, His desires, His goals. Take, for example, King David. Right? This is crazy stuff, I think. Right? King David sees Bathsheba sunbathing. He's attracted to her. Thinks she's hot. Sends, she probably was. Can't control himself, sends somebody to go get her, bring her back, starts sleeping with her, gets her pregnant, tries to cover it up, sending her husband Uriah to the front lines and battle 
He's killed. God doesn't even give up on him then. Sends a prophet to him to challenge him. David repents. David has a change of heart. He realizes that he's done something horribly wrong, and there are consequences for what he's done. But what's amazing to me is that even though we can look at this story and say there is no way that God would have desired King David to do what he did in taking Bathsheba and sleeping with him and having her husband killed, never would God say, oh, that's exactly what I want King David to do. That's great. That's, he, obviously, it's not, right? It's sinful. It's broken. It's unjust. If that happened to one of us, we would be profoundly angry. It's not okay. But somehow, God is still going to take that experience that David has handed over to him in his repentance, and he's going to use it profoundly. He's with David through his repentance and through all the repercussions of what happens. So much so <laughs> that the offspring of King David and Bathsheba is in the genealogy of our Savior Jesus. What? What? So I don't care how bad you might have blown it in your life at some point, way back in your life, something you still concern yourself with and wonder if God is present in it. Or if it's something you did today or yesterday or last week or last month or last year, I don't care when you did it. God is with you as you offer it to Him in repentance, walking through the consequences of those decisions with you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. He's with you. So how do we practice worrying less? Or how do we practice wholeness of our thinking? Single-mindedness, calmness, oneness of mind. How do we practice the opposite of worrying? How do we let go of worry? Well, first let me say that it's not just a one-time thing, right? It's probably a lifelong thing. As much of what we deal with as human beings, as fallen, sinful human beings, is it sometimes rears itself up and we have to deal with it again. But hopefully we're on a path, a trajectory of dealing with stuff in our lives and we're getting a little bit better at it and a little bit better at it and a little bit better at it. So you all you that are like really old, you should be pretty good at this. <laughs> Hi, Dad. <laughs> Certainly, don't worry about getting old. I know, right? So what do we do? What do we do? I think the very first thing we have to do is understand of who we are, that we are children of God by His grace, love, kindness, and mercy. That there is nothing you have to do to earn God's favor. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You got it. He loves you. The Hebrew word for that is chesed. And I like to say it, so I'm going to say it again. Chesed. Chesed. Say it one more time. Chesed. Unconditional love of God that will not go away. It's there. No matter what you do, He has it for you. Hmm. You're His. He sent his son to die for you. 
live in that grace, find peace in that grace, that if, as I talk about with people on occasion, I don't mean this in some kind of bad way, but in a very real way, if all I could do is sit up here on the floor and barely move and drool out of the corner of my mouth, God would still love me. There isn't anything we do to earn God's love. You can rest. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to unearn it. So rest in that. Rest in that. Live a life of repentance. Live a life that can be in that place of grace that knows that you can return to God whenever, however, asking Him for His forgiveness and that that can motivate and transform your life to a positive change. And that He doesn't care if you've gone down the same exact path 25 times, He's still going to be there 2,500 times, 25,000 times, 25 million times. He is there for you to want to walk with you, right? He's just happy we're trying to walk with him. Practice stillness. It helps a lot with, with worry. Practice stillness until your mind isn't going in a million and one different directions. That's really hard sometimes, right? Because as soon as I slow down and I'm still, I got like 25,000 things that are popping into my head that I don't want to worry about. So, but if I can convince myself to sit long enough to still myself, I can find a little bit of peace. I can find a little bit of rest. I can start to not worry so much. I can start to think about things like I have a heavenly Father who knows what I need even before I ask Him. I can really start to trust that heavenly Father who knows what I need even before I ask Him. I don't know if you're a visual thinker or not, but I am. Sometimes I picture Jesus high on a throne, lofted, looking out for me, looking out for us. Sometimes I picture him as a shepherd with a rod and a staff. And he's like, come on, come to me, come here, come here, come here, come here. Let's just hang out. You want a barbecue? I got some fish. Jesus, I don't like fish. You don't like fish? This is the kind of Savior we have. He invites us to spend time with Him. It gives me great rest. I learned to live with and practice contentment and simplicity. They're connected. <laughs> Sometimes the only way we can live with contentment is when we live in simplicity. Asking questions of ourselves like, do I really need that? <laughs> Growing in calmness and dealing with setting aside worry. I believe for many of us, if not all of us, requires that we are mindful of what we are taking into us. What are we taking into our hearts and minds? And I'm not talking about, you know, the indigestion you get from some pizza local. I'm, I'm, ta I'm talking about the things that we spend our times watching, listening to. What goes into us that way? What goes into our hearts and minds? There's a TV show that's on Netflix. 
I'm not watching it ever again. It's, you, I should know by the name of it not to watch this show. It's called The Killing. Has anybody seen it? It actually is a crazy good show as far as drama and how it's done, the cinematography, the acting. It draws you in. But it is like one of the most depressing movie shows that I've ever seen in my life. It will literally suck the life out of you. I mean, I watch it for like five, five episodes, six episodes, and like I'm not sleeping well. I'm like thinking about, you know, where are my kids all the time? I'm thinking, am I doing a good job parenting? Or are they one of these days just going to disappear? And, and I'm like, oh, right? I know, exactly. So in that case, stopping that is what works. <laughs> but in order to stop it, I actually had to go through this journey, right? Because when I first told myself, stop it, I didn't. I had to work through this, and it came to me in the middle of the night, Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then sprinkle some There you go. Sometimes... The Bible, this happens all the time with Scripture. People just like cheap, cheap it down. <laughs> but this is really practical stuff when it comes, because actually Philippians is dealing with, Paul is, is dealing with worry right in this context. And what we need to do sometimes is slow down and trust God's way and let Him instruct us and change us in ways that allow us to change. So, maybe things as, as hard as this is for a bunch of people that know they're sinners to do, is imagine maybe instead of horrible outcomes to our situations, maybe if we could just force ourselves at times to imagine positive outcomes of our situations. Just to dream about what could possibly happen. What could God have in store in light of this difficult circumstance that I don't even know that's going to necessarily turn out bad or difficult. We imagine positive things, thinking on what is noble, right, pure, and lovely. Yeah. In practicing not worrying, it's helpful to remember. To remember things both personal and communal. Remember how you've been in similar situations maybe in the past and God has rescued you. Or maybe it didn't feel like rescue, but God was with you. And through that desperately hard situation, God formed you and made you a stronger, wholer, better, more like Jesus. Remembering that that just hasn't happened in our personal own little lives, but that's happened in the lives of the church from the beginning of the church. We can remember things as this series is all about. Rethinking everything that Jesus taught us in light of the resurrection. Including that in light of the resurrection, we don't even have to worry about death. 
and I know we're going to. So I don't mean to have the kind of faith that pretends. But when we do, we go through this journey, this process of letting God teach us to trust Him. And if we can learn to love the things that have an eternal nature, like people and God, and trust in the eternal nature of our hope, in the eternal nature of our hope giver, well then, whatever we might worry about losing doesn't matter. Because we store up our treasures in heaven where we don't have to worry about moths destroying or tarnish corroding or thieves breaking in and stealing. When we can fall in love with the things that God has given us to fall in love with, maybe couple that with trusting Him, we can learn to not worry so doggone much. It's how Jesus sums up the reading that I offered us from Matthew 6 already. And I'll close with this. But seek first His kingdom. Close your eyes if you would. You don't have to. I'm not going to make you. (laughs) If you don't want to worry, seek first kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things that we worry about, and as much as we need them, will be given to us as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will have enough worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Gracious Father, again we praise You and we thank You. Thank you that, Jesus, you invite us to come to draw near to you, to come to you, to take your yoke upon ourselves and to learn from you. Thank you that you you just hit the nail on the head in our lives and the things that kind of sweep us away and get us distracted, things like worry. And you come and you teach us and you change us. You walk patiently with us and humbly with us, encouraging us. So do that for us. Walk patiently with us and humbly with us. For those that are just right now maybe still trying to not worry, come draw near to them. Let them glimpse your face. Let them hear you speak tenderly to them. Teach them, Lord Jesus, not necessarily in a single moment, but throughout their lives, how to not worry, how to surrender themselves to you. Father, for those of us who sometimes are so busy we feel hurried, help us to be busy but not feel hurried because we know that you're with us through all things and that you are the one who you're the one who works the universe, not us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to not feel guilty when we don't worry. Help us to be able to know that it's it's okay despite what might be going on in our lives, to smile. That it's okay, despite what's going on in our lives, to laugh. 
We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we find in you.